If you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we'll begin to look at chapter 14. Father, it is our custom as we gather together to worship you to open your word, to read it, and to declare its truth, to expound on it. As Father, it's our desire to know it, to understand it, to have it, Father, to, to be the guide and rule of our life. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word, that you would give us understanding, that you would give to us a, a strong hunger for your word, to really to know it, and again, to embrace all that it says. We thank you, Father, that you've preserved your word for us. We are grateful. And so we do thank you for this time. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. In the commentary in the book of, of 1 Corinthians, Gordon Fee, he says this. He says, in chapter 12, Paul argued for diversity, tongues being only one among many manifestations of the Spirit. Then in chapter 13, reflecting on the theme of the common good, Paul insisted that none of them, himself included, counts for anything, no matter how spiritual they are, if they do not likewise manifest love. And now, when we begin the chapter 14, Paul puts these together by insisting that in the gathered assembly, the single goal of their spiritual zeal should be love, which is expressed in the language of building up the church. And of course, this developed in two ways, by insisting in intelligibility in the gathered assembly and by giving guidelines for the order. So as we work our way through chapter 14, the goal is not just to make sure that we have a clear understanding of what the gift of tongues, what that is, and how that was being abused, and then understand the gift of tongues for today. That's normally how chapter 14 is kind of examined and look, looked at, and, and I want us to kind of broaden that out a little bit. Because it's definitely a part of what's going on. This church has been, they misunderstand spiritual gifts. They are using spiritual gifts as a, as a measure uh, to kind of determine who is spiritual, who is closer to God. Uh, I guess almost in a sense who has the right to speak uh, compared to others. And so there's, there's a problem there. And I, and I think that the problems are being driven by several things that Paul is really addressing overall. If you kind of back away from just what he says in chapter 14 and look at the letter as a whole and in particular chapters 12, 13, and 14. Let me read to you first of all verse 26 of chapter 14 
uh, because Paul gives the main purpose for the body coming together. And he says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So his main thought is that when they gather together, the main point of them coming together is for them to be built up, for them to be strengthened. Uh, what he's talking about here is spiritual growth. So a couple of things that I want to just kind of point out uh, when, you, when you take a step back from these chapters, and that's this. We do a lot of thinking about this. And so I don't think we're wrong in saying this, that the primary means that God is going to use to help you and I to grow and to mature spiritually is going to be when the church gathers together. That's more important than reading the Bible on your own. Now, reading the Bible on your own is not to be abandoned. But too often what happens is, we may tend to think that if you read your Bible every day, you're really going to grow in the Lord. A lot of things can be added to that to try to figure out if that's just a true statement. Because by itself, just to do that does not necessarily mean that you're going to grow. Remember that growth in, in our faith as Christians is not just gaining a greater intellectual <laughs> understanding of what's going on. It's not just being more familiar where things are in the Bible. There is very much this idea that, that God wants his word to be in us. It is to transform us, to change us. We are to be thinking differently and acting differently and responding differently. So an individual can by themselves actually study the Bible and become quite familiar with it. And none of those changes ever take place. Because those things take place as we are interacting with each other. There is the natural, supposed to be this natural living out of what the Word of God says. Yes, done in the family, but, there's, but there seems to be a greater pressure, we feel, when we're all together like this. Because we know when we go home, you kind of relax. So if you have a bad attitude, you show it. We show it at home. Most of us won't show a bad attitude here. Because we don't want others to think certain things about us. And so, if we get accustomed to that, what happens is, is, is that that begins to lead to other problems in our lives as Christians. We're, we're not growing. We're blocking what the Spirit of God seeks to do. In fact, it seems that when you, and when you look at the giving of the gifts, remember that all these gifts are given to the church for others. You're not given a gift for yourself. I'm not given the gift of teaching so I can look in the mirror and teach myself the Word of God. So that would, that, that's, that would be really weird to do that. The, the idea is, is, is it's to be helpful to others and then your gifts are used by God for me. There's always this, again, this idea, we've mentioned it a few times, that God intends for the Christian life to be lived in community. And that would be every aspect of it, not just what others can see, but every aspect of your life growing as a Christian. What do, what is the first thing that we do when we begin to drift away from the Lord? Normally the first thing we begin to do is we begin to stay away from who? Other believers. We stay away from the gathered church. Why is that? 
Because there's a built-in accountability. The idea of us gathering together to hear the Word of God being taught is not just because there's only a few individuals who are gifted with teaching, because there may be several people who are gifted with teaching. But part of the reason why we do that is we are together hearing what the Word of God says, together learning what it is that we are to be doing and how we are to be living, so that we then are together holding each other accountable. That's the idea. And when we talk about being accountable, please do your best to think about it in a very positive way. It's not a negative thing. You know, it's, it, sometimes we can, we can have this internal attitude that somehow being accountable is like reporting for duty because someone is, is a legalist. We're not going down the path of legalism. Right? But the idea is that we, we want to be accountable. We want to grow. We want to become more like Christ. We, we want to become different people together, not just individually. But because of this desire, and we do, I think many people do have a desire. They want to be close to God. They want, they want to, I guess in, in some cases, some individuals may say they want to feel God. And because of that, and maybe because of a lack of involvement in the gathered church and why the church gets together, that leads to bad theology. It leads to a yearning for, I guess you would say, a mystical connection. We want to have an emotional experience. We, we may not say it that way, but we're still very much centered on our feelings when it comes to evaluating where we are as Christians. Now, again, feelings aren't bad, but they can definitely be misleading. You know, because you, you can... You know, people can be in the midst of horrendous sin and yet stay, they feel close to God. I'm not sure what that feeling is supposed to be, but, you know, we all have, I guess, our ideas. And so I think then that when it comes to understanding the abuse of the spiritual gift of tongues and why today this seems to linger in the church, there's, there's so much out there in, in other churches. There's so much that's being broadcast on TV and podca podcasts and the radio and all these different ways that, you know, teaching the word of God goes out. There's all this, there's a lot of bad theology out there and a lot of bad theology surrounding gifts and even more so around the gift of tongues. And the reason why I think we're so susceptible to it, there's actually several reasons, is I do think there is a yearning to, to in a sense, connect with God. But remember that the Bible tells us clearly that we've all been very deeply affected by sin. So we, we are absolutely dependent upon the Bible to really help to guide us into even how to approach that and, and to somehow get that connection. And we recognize, the first thing we should recognize, because if you go through Romans, it talks a lot about this, that this connection that we have with God comes as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am truly separated from God emotionally and spiritually and physically and intellectually. I'm separated from God because of my sin and because of my rebellion. So then there is this, and we sometimes use what's called forensic language or legal language to talk about our being justified, that there's this transaction that's taken place. And it, and it is that, it's just not only that, but there's this transaction that's taken place so that my sins are then dealt with by God. My sins are punished. And as God regenerates my heart, as I believe in him, I am now adopted into his family. So I now have that connection. Whether I feel it or not is of no consequence. I have this direct connection to God. 
And the Bible is filled with that. So I don't have to go yearning for some kind of a mystical connection. I need to believe that it actually does exist. And that, that will affect us psychologically. That will affect us emotionally. But we are so affected by our past and we are affected by our culture that we, we seem to want more as if somehow God is lacked or lacking in what he gives to us. And this more that we want, really, in a sense, it, it comes from pagan sources. It doesn't mean that you are a flaming pagan, but, you know, this again, this idea of really feeling close to God and this feeling of euphoria and whatnot. And, and you know, feelings come and go, and I'm always happy when Christians feel good. I like to feel good. But we, just, we don't want to get confused. So that's why, once again, this public gathering together of believers is so important as we read the word, study the word, and hear the word being taught because it helps to prevent us from coming up with our own interpretation of what the Bible says. In fact, there's a warning in Peter where it says that the Bible, is, you know, that the Bible, that doctrine is of no private interpretation. So the moment you ever come across any Christian book or, or you hear any Christian teacher and they say that they have a new teaching, that's already two red flags. Because it's, wait a minute, what do you mean there's new? First of all, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Everything we need is here. Now, it might be new to you. You can say that. You can say, I've not seen this before. But even that may be a warning. Because I've, I've heard individuals say, they're teaching, I've never seen this before in this passage. And they read the passage and start explaining it. And I'm like, well, I know why you never saw that before. Because that's not there. I know where he's getting it from. But I'm looking at the words. And it's not there. Right, but that happens. And, and, but, you know, we, we want something new. We want something novel. We want this. And so I think that as we work our way through these great difficulties that the Koreans, that the Koreans, that the Corinthians, <laughs> don't know if any Koreans there or not, but anyway, that these Corinthians were having with this is, is because, A, their past, a lot of pagan influences in their past, and then their pagan influences in the culture, but maybe also for some of them, there's a strong desire to want to, to connect emotionally or for whatever's going on with, with God. And so we want to make sure we take a really good, hard look at that. So again, gathering together as believers is of primary importance. It's not just, you don't just go to church to be seen. That's it's not what it's about. It's not a legalistic demand on us as believers. That's why when you come across any individual who claims to be a believer... And they are not involved on a regular basis in church. Something is wrong somewhere. It is a problem. They are living in rebellion to what God has revealed in his word. And living in rebellion to how God has designed the church to operate. And so that's, that's, that's important for us. Then it seems, and I think this is correct, that the, the main means of grace... In our, in our growth. And it, we have to be careful when we say that because we don't want to say that something's number one and something's number two. So therefore, if it's number two, it's less important or you can ignore it. We're not saying that. But there is sometimes a ranking and we need to, we need to recognize that there can be a ranking. And so the preaching of the word of God, and I'm not just saying this because I'm preaching, so therefore you got to listen to me. But preaching, which is the public declaration of the word of God, again, is the primary means that God uses for our growth. Right? It, it keeps us on track. So then, if 
you are talking to Robert and Robert begins to go off on a heretical rabbit trail, you are not left at the mercy of how well he may speak or present his argument. Because you're like, what? Uh, Robert, we've heard this together. We, we know what the Bible says. Why are you saying that? But if we're not doing that, we are susceptible to this. And of course, that's why, you know, we're all at different stages in our growth as Christians. And so this mixing together is, once again, very important. Because again, there's, there's an encouragement and a strength that we all offer to each other. That's really important. There was an incident that took place in this church early in the 2000s. There was a young couple that was having a lot of marital issues. It was very problematic. Uh, they didn't come to me for counseling. But what each of them did, what, what the husband did and what the wife did, was on different occasions at informal settings, she would speak to women, he would speak to guys, and they would kind of talk about their marriage and how bad the other person was. And it's like they were trying to groom people to be on their side. And, and sometimes when individuals do that and they say they're looking for advice, all, all they're really doing is trying to get you to agree with what they've already decided to do. And what they had already decided to do was they were going to divorce each other. What, what I thought was fabulous was that when he was complaining to a couple of men in the church, on each and every single occasion, the men said, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to go through every single one, but the men said basically, you can't do that. God says that's wrong. You have to work that out with your wife. You are, you're supposed to be a Christian, a spiritual leader in, in, your, in your family. You don't have grounds to do this. In each of the cases where she was trying to get individuals on her side, the women all said, you, you can't divorce your husband for that. That's not what the Bible says. You, you need to work this out, no matter how hard it is. We will do everything we can to help you. We will pray for you. But you don't have grounds for... Man, I thought that was awesome. Of course, the outcome wasn't good, because they were pretty upset that nobody would be on their side. And they ended up leaving and getting divorced and, you know, went their happy way, I guess. But it was so great that the church, together, they were on the same page. Because we've... We know the Bible, we're learning it, and we're seeking to understand it. And there were those who maybe didn't know as much as others, and they would say, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you can't do this. Why don't you go talk to Bob? Or why don't you go talk to, and they would name someone they knew that knew more than they did. But they, weren't just, they didn't just jump in on their side because they wanted to make that person feel better emotionally. So it's important that we do that. People... You know, there are those who, they, they're trying to manipulate others to get them on their side. They're trying to find a way to, to appease maybe their own guilty conscience. So again, the gathering together publicly and, and, and functioning together as that body is really important. And then the giving of the gifts to the members, to all those who are believers, to minister to each other is vitally important that we are involved in that. Paul then says in verse 1 of chapter 14, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Immediately, there is a false teaching out there about spiritual gifts that's based on verse 1. 
Sometimes what individuals will say is they say, well, the Bible says, and then they will kind of quote it. And oftentimes, if what they're saying is wrong, they might have the quote correct, but they're taking it out of context. For example, you, you can talk to an atheist, and the atheist can tell you correctly that the Bible emphatically states there is no God. It's there. It's in print. And, if the, and, and, and even if you don't know where it is, your first question should be, well, where, where's that at? Because you don't have to have it memorized. All you have to do is look it up because the very first thing you'll probably do, hopefully, is you want to look at it in what? Context. So you may turn to, we covered this in Sunday school this morning, Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. It's right there in black and white. There is no God. But that's just the end of the sentence. See, the beginning says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. See, so that, and now that changes everything when it comes to this. Well, when it comes to verse 1 here, what happens is individuals tend to think, and we tend to do this in our cultures, we think very individualistically. So we read verse 1. And so we would say, well, God's telling me that I need to pursue love and I need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so there's a teaching out there that, um, you know, you, you can pray and ask God for certain gifts and it normally tends to be around the gift of tongues. And so you, they may have special services where you're asking for God to give you the gift of tongues and they'll quote this verse. The problem is, is that all you have to remember is 1 Corinthians is written to who? The church. He's writing this to the church. This is the gathered believers, not an individual. Right? The truth doesn't change, but the application definitely changes. So he's telling the church, which he's just explained to them what love is in chapter 13 and how they are to love each other and what, that, what that's all about. He says, so you should pursue love. That's what you should be pursuing. Now, they may misunderstand. Is Paul saying you should pursue love and no longer pursue gifts? The idea of pursuing gifts here is not that you're asking God to give you any particular gift, because when you read through 1 Corinthians, and you see this in a lot of commentaries, they would tell you, this seems to be one of the most gifted churches on the planet. And whatever spiritual gifts are going on, they're all there. So that's not what he's talking about when he says pursue. It's really the idea of pursuing the manifestation of the gifts, where people are exercising their gifts. So as a church, he's not saying to them, now, don't go and, and try to get people to use their spiritual gifts. He's not saying that. He's supposed to make sure the priorities are right. Pursue love. Remember, if you have whatever spiritual gifts you have, if you don't manifest and display love, you're nothing. If you have a speaking gift, but you don't have love, you just are making a bunch of noise. Right, so he's already revealed that that's most important. So pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So as a church... They should want others to exercise their spiritual gifts. That's what he's saying. It's really that simple. But, but because he knows there's a problem, he does want to make sure that they understand something. And that's the last phrase. Especially that you may prophesy. He emphasizes that. Now, I, there's several reasons why he does that. I don't think it's only... Be, I, I do think it's, it's because of the importance of prophecy here that he's talking about. But it is in contrast to what they have been pointing to, which is the gift of tongues. And see, so, so, so when it comes to these things, right, and there's this tension that's there in the exercising of these gifts, but he is saying one, one is much more important. And because it's, it has a better production value, if you want to say it that way, 
in helping to build up other believers. And that's always his desire is to see that happening. So follow after love. Continue to desire the manifestation of spiritual gifts. So he's not telling them to quit desiring the gifts, but to make sure that he uh, has the right order. So that's how we are to understand that. Desire spiritual gifts, again, is not spoken to the individual to seek any uh, spiritual gift, but this is directed to the church, to the assembly, to seek the manifestation and the use of spiritual gifts, and then especially of prophecy. This is important because right now, at this very moment, there are literally thousands of believers who think that somehow that they do not have any kind of spiritual gift, and they're being taught that they should pursue certain particular spiritual gifts, and that when they get certain particular spiritual gifts, normally tongues, that's how they will have the assurance that they are really in, whether it's in the church or in the body of Christ or in salvation. And there are many who are despondent and, and many who are maybe at the point of despair because they just, they, God doesn't seem to be answering them. They're not getting it. And so it leads to trouble in the church. It leads to great difficulty. And so there are individuals who are, in a sense, kind of, they're stuck. You know, they're, they're, they're listening to what people are telling them. And they may be reading the Bible for themselves, but because of these voices they hear, they can't see it any other way. Once again, the reason why we need to have the, the public declaration of the Word of God. This, in, in this way, I am held accountable for what I say by you. That, that's supposed to happen. You're, you're supposed to, if, so if you think I've said something wrong, you're supposed to say something to me. All right? And, and, and if you, you may not even like the way I say it, that's okay. We can disagree on that. But the point is, is that there's accountability that you have the Bible for yourselves. We are all in it together, growing and learning. Yes, I have an advantage. I have more time to read and study, which I'm supposed to do. But that doesn't mean that you then just sit there and just absorb what I say and never... When I say question, it doesn't mean that you're looking for a problem, but you're thinking critically, meaning you're, you're analyzing what's being said. And that's, that's important. Is what I'm saying consistent with what you are reading? Is it consistent with all of Scripture? Is it consistent with what you've been taught before? And that kind of thing. That's also why, again, in the church, there's more than one individual normally that's gifted with the gift of teaching. There may be one main guy who's preaching. He's not the only guy who's teaching. Right? Because what God wants to kind of avoid here is this understanding somehow or this, this design that there's only this one singular mouthpiece. It's, it's, it's not that. So if you go to Steve's Sunday school class, you should be hearing the same kinds of things, just it's going to be expressed a whole lot differently because he's a different person. Right? If, if you go to Tom's Bible study, again, you, it's going to be explained differently because of his personality and, and how he says things. But in, on, in the end, we're, we're coming out of the same book and we're on the same page. And so that's the idea. People will see that there's an agreement. There's a consistency that's there. And that's, that's really very important. Verse 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So how are we to understand that? Because this verse, again, is greatly misunderstood by a lot of people. Now remember, I guess we say the background, the larger context of all of this, is that spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of ministering to other people or of speaking to other people. 
here, when he says, for one who speaks in a tongue, now just so you know, we'll cover this again later, but when we speak of the, the true spiritual gift, I have to say, the true spiritual gift, because again, there's confusion out there. The spiritual gift of tongues is simply this. It is an earthly language that someone is able to speak fluently that they've never studied before. That's what it is. This idea that there's, it's the language of angels, and we'll cover that again, well, it won't be today. We'll cover that later, or that it's some kind of, you know, ecstatic, heavenly language. None of that is true, and we'll see that as we work our way through. Completely unfounded. That it is the ability suddenly to, to be able to speak, whether it's Swahili, or French, or German, or what have you, Mandarin, you've never studied it before, and you, and you can speak that. That's what the true gift of tongues that's what that is. So, for the one who speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men, but to God. So we need to stop there. Because the assumption is by many that this is a good thing. They go, oh, yeah, well, if, if you were to ask them, well, but no one understands what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm speaking to God. And, and this is the, one of the verses they'll, they'll point to. Well, wait a minute. Why is that necessary? I, I don't, when I read through the list of spiritual gifts, no matter where they are in the Bible, they're never given for us to speak to God. Is that necessary? What, what's the point of that? That's not explained anywhere in the Bible. In fact, he, when he says, but to God, there is a discussion. There, and, and the discussion in some of the commentaries is, they're not sure if the word God in your Bible should be capital G or little g. They're not sure about that. So there's some questions. So, it, so it's not necessarily uh, that you are speaking to the God of heaven. It, it could mean that this is what you would do if you're speaking to a pagan God. It's difficult to be dogmatic on that. Uh, there's some very solid people on both sides of the argument. I really don't think anything changes. In the end, nothing changes because this is still a, this is a bad thing. Right? It's, it's, I'm, it, I'm not going to say it's sinful, but it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing because that's not the proper use of spiritual gifts. And then he adds in there, for no one understands him. That's a key phrase. Because what's the point of all of the speaking gifts in the Bible? So people understand spiritual truth. Whether you talk about doctrine, the doctrine of God, salvation, whatever it happens to be, the whole point is so that there is understanding. It has to be intelligible. So he tells us there, when you read through the whole verse, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for or because no one understands him. It says he speaks mysteries of the Spirit. Well, that's for sure, because no one has a clue what's going on. Why is that assumed by some to be a good thing? One of the reasons why the New Testament was given to us was to a what? Explain the mysteries. You know, Paul goes through this huge thing in Ephesians, explaining the mystery of this idea that is no longer Jew and Gentile in Christ. And, and, but he explains it. And so, when we look at this then, as he makes this statement, he is describing what's going on there, and he's also giving his evaluation. And I think when we look at this thing in context, you have to uh, force onto this passage that this is a positive thing, when really it's a negative thing. But to those who do think it's positive because of how they view or their understanding of what the relationship with God at least maybe should be like, and what's the purpose of religion. And so that can kind of confuse the issue. So there are some people, maybe many, 
who really do mean well, they are, they are searching for God. They are searching for close communion with God. They, they want to really feel that uh, because they're convinced somehow that, that that's going to help them in their life. It's going to relieve them of their burden. I guarantee you that if you have a huge amount of debt, no matter how many classes you take on understanding debt, you will still feel the pressure of your debt. You may even feel close to your banker, but that's not going to change the pressure of the debt that you feel. Your, the feeling or the burden that that debt gives you goes away when you pay off the debt. So the idea is, is that when it comes to what we're doing here, an individual must understand that it's not about the way that we feel at that moment that God makes us feel one way or the other. It's just understanding the reality that I've been adopted by Christ. I belong to him. I am close to him. I may feel it sometimes. I may not feel it sometimes. The more my understanding grows, the more that's going to affect my emotions. And, the way, and, and so in one hand, when it comes back to the debt example, even though you may feel enormous pressure with the debt, when you understand what, let's say you have a real plan to pay that off and you can see progress, you will begin to what? Feel better. Debt's still there, but you're feeling better. See, the emotions are following this, this plan. The emotions follow the truth that you are grasping and understanding because you're dealing with it. So when it comes to our spiritual life, it's not primary, primarily emotional. There are emotions involved in it, but people are misled because they're just trying to get this feeling to get a, to get a reprieve. It's almost, I'm not, going, I'm not saying that everyone that does this is like this, but it's like the individual who tries to drink away their problems. When you drink away your problems, the idea is you become numb, in a sense, and you no longer feel the weight of all of your problems because you're inebriated. And so maybe during that brief time, you do feel very free. But again, you know, you got to keep drinking if you want to keep feeling that way. And eventually you sober up and the pressure can even be worse because nothing's been dealt with. So the idea then when it comes to this is, is God has created us in his image and so we want to make sure that we recognize that the intellect and the emotions and the will, all of that are involved in this process of, of our growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we expect there to be this, this maturing process to take place in the same way we see a maturing process take place in our kids. We want our kids to grow physically. We want them to mature physically. We want them to mature intellectually. We want them to be able to reason and to think. We also should want them to grow emotionally. Because right? a person can have a high IQ, but if, they have, but if they're stunted emotionally, you've got a problem. We want them to grow emotionally as well. So it's the same idea. We want our kids to understand that the way they feel should never, what, dictate the way they live their life. Same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. And for too many people, they somehow want to put their religion or their Christianity on a different plane or in a different category. And so, that, so the Bible is a very sobering book in that way. It constantly affects the mind first. It's not the mind only, but it is, it is the mind first. Some will say that's a very Greek way of approaching the Bible. Um, but I would say that it's actually a very holistic way of approaching the Bible because that's how God declares it. Even the Old Testament, God says, come, let us what? Let's reason together. He doesn't say, let's all gather around the campfire and sing songs so we can feel good. It's let's reason together. and Then we move forward from there. 
He always comes back to the fact that they pursue righteousness and they pursue obedience. Everything else will be fine. It always comes back to those things. So again, our guiding, one of the guiding principles that we see when we're looking at all of this is that spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of ministering and or speaking to other people. And that then helps us to understand what the problem is. And then we can look at maybe, maybe why is it that these types of things are, are, are uh, going on in our world. So basically what he's telling them, you could say this, you might be able to paraphrase it this way. Uh, what Paul says to the Corinthians is, is you are out of yourselves. You are connecting to some God. You're, it's like you're back speaking to your pagan, speaking out your pagan mysteries again. You, have, you have, are violating the principle, the number one principle of the spiritual gift, which is, is to be for others, other people, other human beings. God doesn't need you to talk to him in some kind of a static uh, gibberish. And again, let me just, I'll say this quickly. And some believe that when it comes to your reading of 1 Corinthians 14, and you will see this in the New King James and King James, uh, and that is there's, a, there's a, um, an effort to highlight the word tongue and the word tongues. And when the word, when the word tongue is used singularly, it means one thing, and it's when it's used plural, it's another. Not in every single case, uh, and some believe that the, if you look at the New King James, sometimes before the singular word tongue is the word unknown. And what they, they don't mean like he's speaking, you know, Egyptian, but he doesn't know it. It's not that, but it's, it's, an, it's an unknown earthly language because it's not earthly, it's gibberish. And so they think it helps us to understand what's going on, that Paul is dealing with all these problems at once. And one of them is there's this misunderstanding that this ecstatic speech is the spiritual gift that God has given the church. And it's, it's not that. And, and that's important because there are many individuals, again, in many churches, much more than you would ever imagine, who believe that if they can get this ability to speak in this gibberish, that that's a spiritual experience, means they're close and accepted by God, and they're on their way to whatever it is that God wants and has for them. And, it's, and it can be very, very misleading. And it's not helpful for them. It's not beneficial for them spiritually. So now, if you ever are talking to an individual who's caught up in that, you don't want to get into an argument where, uh, about who's right and who's wrong. It's very important for you to, I think, assume they really want to be close to God. They've been misled. They've been mistaught. And it's very hard to get them out of that, especially if they've experienced it and they think that what they're experiencing is from God. You just can't make a declaration where that's not from God. In fact, it's probably from the devil. I mean, all they're going to do is just, whoop, I'm not listening to you anymore. We want to help to lead them the truth. So we want to come back to the scripture and begin to walk them through it very slowly. And that's hard. It, it can be very difficult. If they're not being taught publicly how to work through the scripture, they're going to have a hard time with that as well. And so again, that's why it's important that we as believers understand how we are to do this. So it doesn't mean there's only one style of preaching. But it does mean that when it comes to handling scripture, there's always going to be in a sermon an explanation of what's being said. And we're going to be uh, somewhere along the way, context is going to be brought up. And then connecting this to everything else that's in the Bible when it's appropriate is brought up to help us to see that we're going in the right direction. My, uh, I went, this past Sunday, I went up to go see my, my parents in Virginia. And I went to the, to the church my niece goes to. They have a, a new pastor. He's been there about a year and a half. And so she, afterwards, she asked me, she said, uh, I, really, I really want your opinion. What did you think about the sermon? 
I said, well, if that is what you're going to have to listen to for the next 10 years, you're going to be great. Because he went through the scripture. He did it well. He was explaining what the text was saying. He was applying it to their lives. He wasn't trying to be novel. He wasn't trying to, you know, he didn't say, God revealed to me this. It is, what does the Bible say? And it was good. Did a good job. And that's what we, what we have to get back to. So my encouragement to you then as we continue to work our way through this is we want to make sure that we're grasping what's being said in context. Ask ourselves, why is this this particular problem taking place here? Why are these people going through this? And there's a little bit of speculation with that. Uh, maybe it's, we could call it some biblical speculation. But the idea is to think best about people and that they were, they're, they're going to be influenced by their past, but they really want to connect with God. How do we do that? And then, and then in line with that are these spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And to keep reminding ourselves that God is give, that the giving of the spiritual gifts is for the benefit of others. It's not for your... So the God's giving spiritual gifts to, to, to you is for my benefit. The spiritual gift, gifts that God gives to me is for your benefit. And that's how that's to work. And that we are then to do this together. And we're all going to be at different stages in our growth as Christians. But we're, but we're to be encouraging each other together naturally holding each other accountable. It's just natural because we're all hearing the same things and reading the same Bible. And so we know how to pray for each other. So as we, we become more and more familiar with each other and we can see each other's struggles, we know how to better pray for them and, and recognize that the Bible really does everything we need. It says this in, in uh, uh, 2 Peter, everything you need for life and godliness has been given to us in the uh, knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. Just so you know, I absolutely believe that with all of my heart, mind, and soul. And so that's why this is so beneficial for us. If you ever take a moment to step back and look at the lives of individuals who are not involved in the church or have no church involvement of any kind, look at how, just listen to how they're living their lives and you can hear and see desperation. The unbelievable decisions that they make. The way that they think. It's not that they're, in some sense, outstandingly evil. I don't mean that. There's a lot of pain and suffering out there. People make these dumb decisions. And there's people, they're alone. They're alone. They don't, they don't have friends and family that they can count on. I guarantee you that if all of a sudden, Emily Wise's car breaks down on the road, and she cannot get a hold of either one of her parents. There's probably only any member of the church she can call. And they would do whatever they can to make sure she gets help. Right? You know, because she's got a church family. We know her. If all of a sudden Glenn finds himself stuck in Montana. Because he was hunting a bear and the bear tore apart his truck. <laughs> and he can't, and he's stuck. If he called any of us, would we say, um, sorry, Glenn, I, I'm busy. No. And you may be like, I don't know what to do. Let me make some calls. Who are you going to call? Well, you're not going to call AAA. You're going to call people in the church. Why do we do that? Because that's what the body of Christ, that's what we do. That's what it's for. The same way that we rally around each other when we go through illnesses, we should be rallying around each other when we get depressed. We should rally around each other in all kinds of ways. Because that's the expression of the Christian life in Christ. 
And we're modeling that love, not just because we want the world to say, hey, look at us, we got this thing wired. No, it's because we genuinely have that for each other. And I do believe that often people experience the love of God by how we minister to each other. It's not just some magical feeling that descends on you at three o'clock in the morning when you wake up. It comes through his people. It's a marvelous thing. It's a great thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your love for us. And again, for your involvement in the church and for giving us this incredibly unique family, this incredibly unique and wonderful institution that Father, even Israel themselves had no understanding of. And Paul explained in great detail in the New Testament. We see, Father, over and over in the Bible and in our lives how the church functions. We see, Father, the importance and the great blessing it is, Father, to gather together and to hear the word of God being preached. We recognize, Lord, how necessary it is for all of us to hear the word of God being preached. We pray, Lord, that we would gravitate more and more to it, that we would recognize, Lord, that even though we are to spend time in your word and time in prayer, that our time together should be guarded that our time together should always be paramount, that our time together is significant and beneficial in so many ways because it has been ordained by you to be used in our lives for our benefit and the benefit of others and really the benefit of the world. I pray, Lord, that for any here who may be earnestly seeking that connection with you, pray, Lord, they would hear what the Word of God says. I pray they would recognize that man is always groping around in darkness, searching for what they do not know, because their sin has blinded them and separated them from you. I pray, Lord, you would open their eyes to see the truth of that, and they would embrace Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of their sins. May we, Father, embrace them and embrace each other that, Father, we may be truly in every way, your hands, your feet, and maybe in a sense your heart as well. That, Father, individuals may understand and experience the great love of the community of believers and see the strength of believers and the safety that we find amongst believers. Father, we know that we'll never do this perfectly. Father, that's also why you've given to us the ability to forgive because it does help to fix the difficulties that we have. Help us, Father, to be as forgiving of others as you've been of us and to be as merciful towards others as you've been to us. Thank you, Father, again for blessing our lives in such tremendous ways. We do thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.